Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Notes, um, hopefully to be able to start with, like, I wrote, like, funny story, question mark, to kind of hope to, like, hey, could I throw something out there and get attention as people slowly come in, whatever it be. Um, I don't have one, but uh, it's daylight savings, so hopefully you feel whatever that means. Um, people always say, oh, yeah, you know, we gain an hour. We feel great. No, I feel horrible. Somehow I feel worse. Um, anyone else feel that way this morning? Yeah, this is the worst. Why do we still do this? We're not like, I'm not a farmer. I don't need this extra hour of light. Um, and it's funny, the, the church Autumn and I came from in Tennessee the missions pastor there, he has for the past like four months been doing this same joke. Once a month he would do it. He'll create a Facebook post that seems very convincing. He's like, had the most beautiful weekend, celebrated my birthday. I feel very loved and I'm so excited that I get an extra hour of sleep with daylight savings this weekend. And he's gotten me twice. Twice he's gotten me where I pull out my phone and I'm like, is it this weekend? And everyone, there's comments on it like, you're a menace. I can't believe you're doing this again. And so he posted this weekend again. His name's David Wiggins. He posted again. He's like, and set your clocks back, everyone. Don't forget his daylight savings. And like, it's like the boy who cried wolf. We're all like, no, it's not. I don't believe it. I can't believe it anymore. I don't trust him. And uh, thankfully, I was talking to Stephen and Graham this morning. I don't have to manually set clocks back. My phone does that for me. So I don't have to know when daylight savings is. Um, Technology just takes care of us. So we all are here, obviously, and are affected by the hour, but we're not late. Maybe some of you were more early than before. That's good. Praise the Lord for that. But as we continue this morning um, in our series in Galatians, I have the awesome privilege of I got to start the series and I also get to close it and finish it. So I get to be the two bookends of the series of saying, this is how it started, this is how it ends, this is what you should walk away with today. So I'm really excited for that. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it and found it as helpful as like I personally have as I walk through Galatians on my own time. I hope it has been as encouraging and is slapping you around as much as it has been for me. Um, As much as you need it, I promise you I needed it more. But a reminder of how we started in week one, our main idea was faith in Jesus frees us from works-based religion. That was how Paul started. That has been the theme throughout it. And our overall main point throughout the whole series has been called to freedom, coming specifically from chapter 5, verse 13 where it says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And now we're at the end of that. So Paul starts Galatians, where we started in 1 verse 3, and he ends it here in chapter 6 verse 16 with these two words, grace and peace upon you. And I don't think that's on accident. I don't think he forgot what he wrote in the first part. If anything, I'm willing to bet he looked back at the beginning and said, I will make sure to end it with this because this is how I started. It is crucial that we end this way and understand and walk away with this today. Grace and peace 
be upon you. This is our main point this morning. This is the outcome of our series in Galatians. It's our, so now Galatians is over, what now? What do I walk away with? This is what you walk away with. Grace and peace be upon you. The freedom and truth of Galatians should bring grace and peace because it's not by what I have done, but what he has done. So be looking for that as we continue to unpack it. Um, And maybe you've been with us the whole series. Maybe you've been with us just this week. Whatever it be, today, pay attention. Today, we're wrapping it all up and saying this, walk away with this. Please, if anything, just listen to this today. So if you have a copy of God's word, you can go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 6. Um, If you don't, it'll be on the screen. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. If you want a copy of God's Word, there's one on the table in the back. You can have it. If you want French, English, we have both. It's yours. Um, And you can also just look at the screen or look at your phone. But follow along with me as we start in chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. Paul writes, he says, Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want you to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Continuing in 16, Paul writes, May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray over that. God, we pray over your word that it would be taught to us, that it would be applied to our lives, that you would open our hearts, that your spirit would fill me and your words pour out and they would rest on us and we would take it um, as truth. Lord, would you speak to us through your word this morning? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so how we do it here is we pretty much... If you've heard the term exegetical, exegesis, whatever it be, you might not be familiar with that. We read a chunk of scripture. We're going to break it down verse at a time. So here we go. Starting in verse 11, we're going to unpack what he explains. Um, So Paul just simply says, notice what large letters I use in my own handwriting. So Paul's custom, which is typical in the ancient world, typical in this time, was to have his letters written by a secretary. Someone who probably has much better handwriting than him. Um, I need a secretary. Um, Often I have Autumn write things for me so it doesn't look like a child is writing it. Um, Something about men, we learn how to write and then we just don't change that method. Um, So Paul has a secretary here who's writing his letters for him. Um, But he would often personally write a short part at the end, both to authenticate the letter and to add like a nice little personal touch of like, hey, it's me, don't forget um, other examples are in 1 Corinthians 16 at the end and Colossians 4.18. Um, he kind of writes this salutation by my own hand saying, this goodbye, this farewell is from me. It's my handwriting. Look, it's different. 
Um, one reason Paul may have done this was to prove that he was actually writing the letter. Since it's some pretty controversial topics, Paul might be saying, hey, in case you think someone's faking as me, acting like me, this is me. You know my handwriting. It maybe looks terrible. This is me. Um, as in 2 Thessalonians 3.17, Paul writes, this salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. So he's kind of authenticating like this I wrote this. This is from me. These are my words. So Paul here, just to emphasize and clarify at the end of this letter, he says, I write this myself. And big letters, he's saying, hey, listen, pay attention. This is important. I want you to understand these things um, so much so that I'll write them myself in a dark jail cell. This is the end. Please get this. So this is for you today, just as much as it is for the people there. Pay attention to these large letters of what he's writing. Please hear this. It's a summary of the whole letter reminding us why he wrote it and the truth we're to walk away with. So what is that truth? Guess what? We're going to unpack it. So continuing in verse 12, Paul just jumps into the argument again that he's been fighting against this whole series. He's saying those teaching you to be circumcised, the ones teaching you to keep this Jewish custom and these Jewish laws and religious ceremonies, they, they just want to look good to other people. Um, and they don't want to be persecuted themselves because what Paul is teaching is getting him pretty persecuted. Um, for example, of like what's happening here. In fact, he continues in verse 13, he's like, they want to look good to other people and guess what? They don't even keep the law themselves, which he, he unpacked earlier in the letter. He's like, they act like they do, but they can't keep it. In fact, no one can be made right by the law. So understand this. They themselves ask you to uphold a standard they cannot, and they are not. And Paul says, this is what these false teachers really want. This is the truth of what they're getting you to do. This is why they do it. They want you to do this so they can boast about it, so they can claim you as their disciples and it's out of selfishness and pride, not of Jesus. And I read um, a commentary this week that put it this way. Um, it said the legalizers here, the false teachers, persisted in their false teaching because of their desire to boast and what they had been able to win the Galatians over for Judaism. They were trophy hunters and wanted to be able to report mass conversions in the Galatian church. The humbling parallel would be in the tendency to take pride in counting the number of decisions for Christ or baptisms we see in the church today. See, now this gets more real and personal to us in this room. And I start to ask the question, where is my heart in discipleship? Are we seeking to glorify ourselves, to make my name known, to make Renaissance Church look good, to win trophies of like, look at all this we've done? Or are we simply people who just want to point people to Jesus? So that's kind of where the Lord started working on my heart this week as I, as I started unpacking the scripture. And as he starts giving this contrast of like, this is the heart of anyone who's not pointing to Jesus and saying, boasting in Jesus, saying this is it. It's for themselves. So on the contrast, the other side, this Paul says, this is what I put my confidence in. Verse 14. May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, this is the truth I tell you. It isn't so I can boast in myself, so I can have pride or confidence in myself like these false teachers. He says, instead, the truth I tell you puts confidence in Jesus Christ, our Lord, 
only. And I read this week the word cross here. Um, The word crux was unmentionable in polite Roman society. It's kind of like a taboo word because it implies something pretty terrible and gross that happens. Um, It was like even when someone was condemned to death by crucifixion, often the sentence was used in an archaic formula which served as an unlucky euphemism. And the wording they would use would say, hang him on the unlucky tree because it was too, too polite and up high Roman society to say, hang him on the cross. But Paul not only uses this unmentionable word, he glorifies in it. By that cross, Paul says, my interest, as we continue in the scripture, he says, my interest in this world in pleasing man and myself has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has died. And we can understand when Paul uses the word world here, um, it's not the global earth um, and it's not mass humanity, which we know God loved, which we can read in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the mass of humanity, the world. Um, Instead, the word Paul uses here um, was a community of sinful humanity that is united in rebellion against God. So Paul says this This flesh, this community of sin and rebellion against our Lord that puts confidence and pride in themselves, I have died to it. I have been crucified, which we looked earlier in Galatians 2.20 where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The difficulty for these false teachers here and for many of us in this room is the cross itself. Because the cross speaks of the necessity of a divine death as the only solution to the sin of man. To have the cross is to have three disquieting and humiliating doctrines. So these are the three doctrines to have the cross. First is that man is a sinner. That you and I in this room, we are sinners. The second is our sin brings us under the curse of God, which cursed Christ bore. And the third is, nothing man can do, nothing we can do, can ever earn salvation. For if this were possible, the cross would have been unnecessary and just something fun he did. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem like something one would do without purpose. These doctrines, these three things of us being a sinner, needing salvation, Christ bearing our sin, and earning it for us, not that we ever can, these three doctrines humble us in this room. Consequently, men, you and I, often hate the cross and actively persecute those who proclaim it. We actively fight to make our works prove our salvation. We often fight to make our church service make us look better than the others. And we often bring people into the church and try to make them look just like us instead of pointing them to the cross. Because when we step back and look and realize that salvation is in the hands of the Lord and not in ourselves, and I am not made good by what I do in this room or outside this room, but what Christ has done, I am extremely humbled. I can never be good enough. I could never work hard enough. And I just have to simply be okay with that. 
It is hard for us to accept these humbling doctrines. But Paul says, on the contrary, I put my confidence and boast in this humble doctrine. He says, I boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the language there is so important. I read someone break it down this week and say it is striking how much of the gospel is involved in this one short statement. The cross speaks of the needed atonement, the need for you and me to be made right because of our sin. The full name of the Savior speaks to the significance of his person and the role he played, meaning literally God who saves the Messiah. Finally, the pronoun are speaks of the personal aspect of Christ's redemption, for it becomes ours through the response of faith. And Paul says, this is what I boast in. This is my confidence, nothing else, that Jesus took my place. He paid the payment of my sin, and by that, I can die to my old self. I can die to trying to earn it, to be made right, to get there on my own. And what really counts in verse 15, Paul says, I boast in the Christ, and this is what matters in verse 15. Not circumcision or religious practice. Paul knew and taught that Christians had a moral standard to live by. He's not just saying, hey, forget doing good things, just live reckless all the time, and then ask for forgiveness. We know that's not true. In fact, if you were here two weeks ago, um, Graham preached Galatians 5, 19, 19 through 21, and Paul's pretty open about living a standard that Christ has set before us. But what really mattered was not what we do in keeping the law, Paul's saying here, especially in like these ceremonies and these extra things that these people are adding to the gospel. Paul says what really matters is what Christ has done in us. And in verse 15, he says, being made a new creation. And Paul uses this language many times, if you're familiar with his other letters. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it'll be on the screen, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Ephesians 4.22-24, maybe you're here that week. It's going to be on the screen anyway. He says, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And finally, in Romans 6, 3-4, he puts it this way. Or have you forgotten that when we joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we were joined with him in death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Paul's writing, he's saying, because of this truth, because I can boast in the cross and that Jesus paid my price, he saved me. I have died to this old self that seeks to glorify itself and seeks to be made right and seeks to put confidence in myself and my accomplishments. And Paul says, I am a new being. I am completely new. I am not the same once I have come to Jesus. I am made right and holy. I can only boast in Christ and what he has done because it is by him I have been made completely and wholly new.
The cross of Christ is a great stumbling block for people who do not have the grace to humble themselves before God and man. And that sentence I read this week was right for myself. I'm going to read it again because it hits hard. The cross of Christ is a great stumbling block for people who do not have the grace to humble themselves before God and man. I challenge you this morning. Humble yourselves. Man, you can get to that place when you come to him humbled and sitting like, I'm a wreck. I thought I could hold it together and look so great in front of everyone and expect other people to be this standard that I myself couldn't even live up to. And then I get mad at them for not holding it. But really I'm mad at myself because I'm not who I want to be. I'm not as good as I thought I should be. And then I'm just mad and frustrated at everyone. Humble yourself this morning. It is not about you. It is not. It is about Christ and what he has done. So I challenge you, let go of yourself. Completely surrender. We cannot allow ourselves to accept the need for a Savior because that means I am helpless. And that I truly can't do it. And if I'm helpless, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? Life is hard. But if we do, if we come to this place of humility, of saying, Jesus, I can't, but you did. And I trust you. When my confidence and trust is in Jesus and what he has done, Paul writes and continues in verse 16, God's peace and mercy are upon us. See, the gospel, the good news of Jesus is the real promoter of peace and is the channel of God's mercy. It is the way we receive God's forgiveness by what Christ has done. We receive his mercy and his grace and it gives peace in our lives. Because I don't have to worry, I don't have to put my confidence in anything that I've done or how I have messed up. It is in Jesus and what he has done. The cross of Jesus Christ, realizing, accepting And being covered in his grace brings peace, church. True peace. That's why Paul then says in verse 17, he said, come on, don't trouble me with these things anymore. You know the truth. He's saying, you know this. He said, I even wrote it in my own handwriting. And he says, and I have scars that prove that I boast in Jesus. If you read anything about Paul, he gets beaten up a few times. He gets thrown in prison. They try to kill him a few times. He's saying, I have scars that show I trust only in Jesus because it's by me professing Jesus that I'm getting beaten up. And I'm not trying to please man like these other people because, look, they don't have any scars. He's not boasting in that. He's like, look at these great scars. He's saying, if anything, let them point to that Jesus is the answer. So he's like, I'm only going to preach salvation to Jesus. He said, I came to you this way. He's like, come on. I don't want to do this again. You know better. He's like, you know this. You know this truth, church. He said, I'm going to leave this here for you. Read this letter. Maybe you need to read it every month. Maybe you need to read it every week. He's like, you know this. Come back to this. The point of Galatians is that the grace of God would be increasingly realized 
and that whatever external marks there might be would be received not as an effort to impress God ritualistically, but as a natural result of true Christian service. And Paul leads his, his final thoughts as he's wrapping these up of like, hey, don't do that. Come on. You know this. You know this truth. This is, I suffer for this. Look at it. You've suffered for this. Keep continued in it. Not in what makes you feel good, but boasting in Christ. He said it will bring grace and peace like nothing else before. I promise you. Doesn't mean our lives are going to be easy because he's like, look at me. I'm getting beaten up. But I'm the most peaceful person you'll ever meet. Because it's peace from Christ. He says in verse 18, this is where he starts. He opens the letter and ends it the same exact way. He said, may grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Grace and peace be upon you. Isn't it crazy how the world desires those two things? We desire grace and our flaws and when we mess up, but we're quick to not offer grace when someone else messes up. But the world seeks grace. The world seeks forgiveness of, of wrongs. And it seeks peace, even though the world isn't a very peaceful place. People are crying out for peace. Many cultures, the common greeting is, peace be with you. In Islam and in Judaism, one of the first things you say to someone is, peace be with you. You think it's ironic that that is the outcome of what Christ has done is true grace and peace and the world is utterly seeking for them. You in this room are seeking for true grace for, your, for our flaws and you're seeking true peace because I just have this turmoil in my heart, this battle of I don't know but I hate myself and I hate the world. And I hate what I do. And Paul says, I, I do what I don't want to do. And I, I, I don't do what I do want to do. But I promise you, this is the result of us boasting in the Christ and accepting it. That we would have grace from Christ and his peace, true peace. The only peace there is in this world would be upon us. If we could just get this, church. If we would just boast in Jesus, our confidence in him and not me, not yourselves, not the sermons, not works, not our potluck, not feeling good from any of this, but boasting in Christ and what he has done. If we could just do that and let his grace be enough for you, we would be a people of grace and peace. And boy, would Montreal look different. It would be so noticeable. So it starts with us, church. It starts right here. Humility. Surrender. Letting go of ourselves. So as we kind of close and get to an end, I kind of want us to think in these last moments of, what do I put my confidence in? What do I truly trust in? What do I boast in? Myself, my achievements, my education, my job, my career, maybe my knowledge of the Bible. I can turn to any page just like that. How much I pray, my disciples, the fact that I am discipled, man, I'm so much better than them. Maybe my good works, my church involvement, 
Maybe it's baptisms we've seen. Maybe it's conversions we've seen in the church, a full Sunday service. What do we put our confidence in? Do I only boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because I promise you, it is the only thing that you can. I know you've been there like me. I know you've put confidence in yourself and like just grinding. You know, the world tells you just put in that grind. Put in that grind and you're going to come out on top. And, and if you have the dream job, if you have a dream job, you're never going to work a day in your life. So just keep grinding until you find that. Oh, goodness, you've been there. You know that's garbage. You know that's a lie. I love what I do. I'm so thankful to do this, but sometimes I don't get to do fun things because I can't put my confidence in my job. I can't put my confidence in myself. And you know you've been there. You've gotten to that point where you're like, I hate everything. I hate my job. I'm just going to quit. I'm going to move. I'm going to go do something else. Whatever it be, we get to this place and we're like, why do I keep coming here? Why am I at this place? And Paul says, stop troubling yourselves with this. You know the answer and you know where your confidence has been and it's not been in Christ. It has been in yourself. So I challenge you, church, humbly come to a place of him this morning, of grace and peace, of submitting to him. That's all it takes is just the posture of our heart being, okay, I'm a dummy. I've been trying to be good enough. I've been trying to work hard enough and get it. But God, I think I just need to come this morning and ask that you would be good enough for me. That's where it starts. And his grace and peace will rush over you. I read this really awesome example this week that kind of really sealed the deal for me and like just the, the heart, just right in the heart. Um, and it's a great example from many of you know I love John Piper. My man just knows God's word and like he puts it in better examples than I ever could. So shout out to old JP for this one. So he says this, suppose I'm sitting here in front of you and I have the power to hold out to you two hands for choosing, like the matrix, you know, like red pill, blue pill. I have two hands. And one hand is the mercy of God to forgive all of your sins and the peace of God for your internal enjoyment. And in the other hand is every desirable thing the world could offer you. Money, leisure, health, popularity, business savvy, a spouse, a child, you name it. Everything that the world puts confidence in. But there's no mercy from God and no final peace with him. Which hand are you going to choose? You can stand here and look and be like, oh, obviously, like, I want mercy and I want eternal peace. Like, none of this matters in the end because, like, this seems much more important than these very temporary things. And we question, what does it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Only in the grip of a great satanic delusion do people choose the world over the mercy and peace of God. But surely, I pray, the Holy Spirit is here this morning to break that delusion from us, to help and pull us out of that foolishness of desiring the pleasure of the world for a season, desiring this for a season at the expense of God's mercy 
and the beauty of his peace, I pray the Holy Spirit convicts us and pulls us out of that. I pray that verse 16 of Galatians 6 would be a big road sign that tells us to leave the road of foolishness and get on the road of God's mercy and peace and please stay there. It's saying, get off, do a U-turn, whatever it takes, follow this sign because this is empty and you know it. Standing here looking at these two choices, of course this is what I want. But many of us are living here right now. All you have to do is let go. Come to the Father. He has peace and grace and mercy for you. What he has done on the cross is enough, church. It is enough for you. Please leave the series of Galatians with the understanding that Jesus Christ is all you need. And he is true peace and grace. Let's pray as the team comes up to lead us in worship. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.